You're listening to the Fanboy Garage Podcast. And welcome to the Fanboy Garage. I'm Chris Lasanti, joined by my co-hosts, Vanana. Hello, hello. And Aaron Varola. Yo, what's up, folks? Welcome to episode 119 of the Fanboy Garage. This is the way. We are so happy to have you guys with us for another episode, another week. I'm just going to keep on plowing through that shit. Let's do it. Because <laughs> Star Wars is back in a way through the Mandalorian. And, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Ray Fisher's got more comments. We lost another actor in 2020 because this is the best year ever. But let's start with The Mandalorian. Oh. Sure. Happy. So The Mandalorian is back. Uh, and episode one of season two debuted this past week. And it's a really great episode. It's actually the longest episode uh, in the show. So the, the listed time was 54 minutes, which uh, includes like a two-minute recap of season one. So it's like about a 52-minute episode with credits um there was not an episode in season one that got to 50 minutes and of course there were a lot of episodes that were in like the 30 minute 35 minute mark so we'll see how the rest of this season goes but this was um definitely a longer episode and uh really a lot to dig into here you know we we were actually talking uh aaron off uh before we started recording about how you know the show is really designed for you kind of anybody to watch it, but if you're a fan of Star Wars, like there's so much to really like sink your teeth into from like a geek perspective, right? If you want to get real deep into these episodes, but I would love to be able to watch this like from the perspective of somebody who has never, like, or not never watched Star Wars, but somebody who's not like a huge Star Wars fan, right? That discovered this and they're watching it just because it's like a really good show. Uh, because right. I think you could certainly do that. And, like, the thing at the end, like, you probably don't know what's going on, but, like, you'd be like, wow, I, I really, I'd like to know where that's leading and, like, all these all right. little things. But as fans, like, the amount of things, like, even just in this episode that you could get all excited about, you know, just assuming it's going to lead to the things that you think it's going to lead to. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll let you go on that because, I mean, I'm sure you have even more stuff mm. than I do on that. But <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I, first of all, I kept on hitting pause and being like, what, how, how, this episode feels so long. Like I'm waiting for it to just end, you know, like, oh, he gets into the town and then it's like credits. Um, no, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. This, this, this show, you know how sometimes when you start a new season, it takes like three episodes for you to kind of fall back in love with it again. Like this thing just picked right back up and I was like head over heels in love with the, with the show and energy and just the way that it just kicked off and um you know yeah there was lots of little goodies and big goodies quite frankly that were packed into the show um before we get into any of that i mean i thought from the moment this thing started you know with the um just you know the way that he looks the mandalorian he's got the best car armor he's just all shiny and chrome like walking through the streets um and people know that it's extremely valuable and they're trying to kill him and he's just an utter badass 
Um, you know, he whoops whoops everyone's ass in, in that uh, in the underground fight area. And um, and I'm glad. I think the thing that I'm super happy about was that they really didn't spoil much in the uh, in the trailers. Like pretty much everything we got, like for the most part, like in, like the the meteor parts were all in episode one. So I'm I'm excited to see um, what else comes comes to light. But uh, yeah, I mean the introduction of Cobb Vanth, who was played by Timothy Oliphant, uh, which is brilliantly cast. Uh, mm. A nice little, nice little Deadwood um, uh, hints there uh, in the show. I, I, I love that uh, spaghetti western vibe that they're, of course, bringing back. And then the, the uh, Kurosawa, uh, you know, movies with the Ronin vibe. Like, this thing is, this is like the best thing of Star Wars, in my mind. This mm. is the, and every every time I get a glimpse of the Mandalorian, it makes me sad for the sequel trilogy, like really sad because this show and it, look, I I don't I'm not trying to like really knock the sequel trilogy, but I will right now. <laughs> it's that this show builds the universe in a way that those three movies never could. Or or didn't do actually. They had an opportunity to do it. They just didn't do it. And in one episode, we expanded the universe even further uh, than any of those movies did with new characters, new species of aliens, new planets. Well, not even new planets, but new cities within planets that we're very familiar with. Um, and I just I love all of that. It makes it feel huge. Like Star Wars is meant to be grand, and it's like multiple planets and galaxies and all of that stuff. And it makes it feel so so big, and I I love that. And we'll we'll get into some of the other stuff. Uh, Vanana, what do you think? I know mm, I'm, I'm going mm. wax and poetic on all this. No, no, I love listening to you talk about Star Wars because like you know so much about it. Um, all I know is you texted us on Friday at six thirty a.m. and you <laughs> you wrote in all caps, "It's Mandalorian Day." And I remember I responded, uh, you watched it already, question mark? And you're like, I couldn't wait. So I know you were probably one of the first people to watch it on Friday morning. Um, uh, I, I thought the episode was fantastic. I, I think I was in the same boat with you guys. Uh, or I think it was Chris who was like, wait, is it over yet? Like, it, it felt like such a long episode and I didn't want it to end. But at the same time, I was like, oh, like we're near the end, like we're near the end. Um, and just knowing that we got one episode dropped instead of maybe like two or three, like with like some of the other um, series, you know, sometimes they drop like two or three episodes, knowing that we just got one, it was just special and you could savor it. Um, I, I really liked it. I think we're, I think we're just setting up, you know, for the rest of the season right now. And it's just so beautifully shot. It's so beautifully done. Um, you know, sometimes when I, when I think of star Wars or when I think of what I've seen before, I think of a world that's like in space. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like with this show from what I've seen so far, they like bring you down into yes. like into the whatever you know planet you're on. They're showing like, you like the underbelly of yes. shit that's going. Yes, yes. And that's what I really love about it because like it like nothing has really taken place in space really so far. Like we're not sitting inside you know a space vehicle or whatever or like some 
thing in space and then spending all our time up there it's like we are down on the planets with the people with the creatures you know with with everything um and so it's so beautifully painted and it like enriches your experience for you and and even if you're not like for me like i don't know every little thing about star wars like you aaron um i can still appreciate it and enjoy it and 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 learn you know and i think they are doing such service like such fan service to the fans that are diehard fans that like know every little thing you know like even even down to like the joke um that he made on because they were on Tatooine about like the two sons you know Mm -hmm. I think they incorporated that into like a little like throwaway joke like that you can still get the joke and if you're like a diehard fan like you can still like it's just they fit every single spectrum of the fan base mm-hmm. um so i thought it was beautifully done i thought the first episode was great yeah 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 i mean there's there's just uh you i mean you hit the nail on the head it was something that chris and i were talking about before we we hit the record button here it's like the 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 universe that you know that I'm talking about in terms of them building is exactly what you were saying. They're showing us the underbelly of some of these cities and, and other planets where the people are living, and that real things actually happen, right? Like fights, underground fight clubs are happening, right? That's a thing, and I love that. I mean, a lot of people trash Canto Bite, uh, the the casino city in the mm. Last Jedi, but like. Why? And, like, why wouldn't there be a casino, right? Like, yeah, there's underground fight clubs. We should absolutely, like, that shit exists in Star Wars. That is awesome. All kinds of stuff exists. I mean, look, Cloud City exists, right, in Star Wars. Jabba's barge there, which was, like, basically, like, a... It was like a, a bordello. Yeah, essentially. Like stuff like that exists. I mean, it it's we look, I mean, even like Moss Isley, right? Like we know that there's a there's been an underbelly to Star Wars, like in these universe. We've right. seen glimpses of it. Now we haven't spent a lot of time there, um, because there was a much bigger story to tell, you know, in the movies. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now this gives you an opportunity to do that. And, you know, for me, you you said the Mandalorian is like would you say the best Star Wars? Yeah, uh, you know whatever. Like I think to me, um, the Mandalorian is—it's definitely the best Disney thing that they've done, right? So, you know, I—I I think it's fascinating that the the sequel trilogy, and I, I really think a lot of it has to do with the Mandalorian. Um, mm-hmm. But the sequel trilogy has, I think, very quickly become forgotten about. And not even yeah. talked about. Yeah. Like, I feel like people have already put that to bed, which is very un-Star Wars-like, right? Because even people who didn't like it usually will talk about it for decades. <laughs> you know, they'll just go back. And I mean, there's people still talking about the prequel trilogy, right? Right. And debating that. But you don't really hear much about the sequel trilogy. And I think it's because of, you know, The Mandalorian. The fact that The Mandalorian has been so great and is so popular with a wide range of people that uh you know we don't have to sit back and and be bitter you know if you're one of those people that didn't like the sequel trilogy because you've got right. some great star wars going on and it, it's just i've said this before uh but i i just it's amazing to me how since disney took over lucasfilm uh rogue one and the mandalorian are the things that have stuck with me the most and mm-hmm. they're the two things that were separate and apart from the the grand 
trilogy, right? That they worked the on. The Skywalkers. The Skywalker trilogy. And mm-hmm. I I feel like it's because they those stories managed to stay true to Star Wars. They felt like Star Wars, but they brought a different perspective and they introduced new characters and, and not new characters that had to fit in to the Skywalker saga 100%. or or in some cases be forced into the Skywalker saga. Right. Uh, they were allowed to just be themselves and develop yeah. their own backstories and their own motivations and, and all of that. And and I, I think it, it makes complete sense that, you know, that this is the direction that they, they really should be going in. Uh, and, you know, I'm kind of excited about the present of Star Wars right now, right? Because we're we're getting... And, I mean, the you know, this is not like a small little television show. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is like look at that final um, sequence, scene, battle, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that was big, like epic stuff. And, with the dragon, yeah, that, that shit was dragon. awesome. And the music I, is great. It, and the music is great because it's 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 different. You yeah. know, like it it still feels like it belongs, but it's it's very much its own thing. It's very it, different from anything that we've heard. And that got a lot of shit. When season one dropped, I remember people yeah. texting me like, dude, the music, what the F is that? And I'm like, I love it. I love it. It's so different. It, it feels tribal. It feels mm. very representative of, of a lone warrior kind of making his way through the universe. I loved it from jump. Yeah, I think it was a little and- startling to people at first. Because they I know, were I like, wait, were what? Expecting this, the epicness of you know what what we've been dealt with before, yeah. you know, and that's mm. absolutely not what this is. And you said it right. I mean, look, we have been tethered, and I've and I've said it so many times. But we have been tethered as audiences and as fans to the Skywalkers, and for better or worse, that's become a little fatigued. I love living in somebody else's shoes. I love watching this character make his way through his own adventure, right? And yes, it may connect directly to things that we're familiar with, like the Jedi and the Force and planets and things like that that we've been on and have experienced before, but this is a very different journey. And his experiences continue to open up the world for us in new and exciting ways. And it's making me, again, like I'm going back and going like, it was great to see new characters, but they were always just on the peripheral, right? Like, you go into a cantina or you go into Maz Kanata's uh, little den, and you, you're getting treated by all of these different aliens, but none of them do shit. They just sit there. They're eye candy. They don't do shit. You go into the Mandalorian, and the background characters of the OT are playing a main role, like a bartender, Right? Like, I forgot the name of the species, but this is the the guy that you know the, the bartender in this scene, scene um, in this episode was on, not like the um, the species of the the guy, not not the, the guy himself, but this species of guy was on Jabba's barge, fighting against Luke Skywalker. This is the second time we've seen this kind of character, um, and Ugnat, uh, who was uh, now I'm totally blanking on his name, Krill. Is that, is that his name? The 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 Nick Nolte's character in, in uh, season one. Anyways, mm-hmm. that the, the, those characters are seen very briefly in in Empire Strikes Back, and here we have a fully fledged character version of that. 
um, Gamorreans, the pig, the green pig characters. Like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, and John Favreau and Dave Filoni are taking these, the, like these obscure characters that were in the background and giving them new life. And I'm... they are so much more interesting. Yeah. And I love that. I'm glad you it. mentioned the Gamorrean because, um, for, our fellow wrestling fans out there, we got our first tope in Star Wars history in this episode, by the way. A classic Lucha Libre move uh, was pulled off by a Gamorrean <laughs> in this episode, and I was that made me very happy. Uh, yeah, and even the Sand People, uh, yeah. who kind of yes. a new element of like them was added in this. Like some depth was given to them, and... Uh, you know, you get to see them in a little bit of a different light as well. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean that whole the whole world, the whole universe. It's a, it's a great way to expand the universe, right? It's a great use of utilization of expanding this universe, right? To yeah. um, give us uh, a taste of these things that we haven't we've seen, but we don't really know a lot of, about. Right. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I'm I'm starting to think more and more about. You know your whole like anti um, Obi Wan stance and and the reasons you had for not wanting that show mm-hmm. and was a lot of it was you know not having to worry about like how does it tie in and you know the Skywalker yeah. legacy and all that stuff and blah, blah blah and I'm starting to get that I mean I still think you can do that show without uh, falling into some of those traps but um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm all for this type of stuff. Like, this is the type of Star Wars now that I I pretty much want. Yeah, uh, I don't want it to be. I don't want to see like new versions of characters that have already been established. You know, like yeah. I don't want to see any of that. I don't want like a lot of prequel things and stuff like that. Just give me like a story that's like a side story. You know that that might or something that might fit into a timeline in a time we haven't seen yet. Uh, mm-hmm. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Um, yeah. So I mean, and they're setting this up. I mean, I don't. You know, we don't know what the next seven episodes are going to be like and where we're going with it. But like this thing could go on for a little while too. Oh hell Like yeah. at the pace that they're moving, because the the main story or the the main theme of him needing to deliver the child, right? Yeah. I mean that could just could take for a while, you know. You could. Yeah, I mean he's he has no leads at this no. point, right? Yeah, he has no no leads. Um, we don't know. I mean, here here are a couple of things, right? We don't know what kind of information has been passed along about Luke Skywalker. Not much, I would imagine, and he is the only known self-proclaimed Jedi. Now, there are other characters that live out there, right? And we hope to stumble upon them, like Ahsoka Tano. Um, But what I love about the show is that it is, every episode is a mini-adventure that puts him a little bit closer to the end goal, right? So we think, or hope. Gets us a little, little bit closer. Like, this. the purpose of of him here was that he hurt, he was hoping to find another Mandalorian to point him in the direction of these sorcerers, these Jedi, right? And he's searching the ga- the galaxy for another Mandalorian, and he hears of one that's on Tatooine. And everyone's mind goes, oh, shit, here we go. It's Boba Fett. And it's not Boba Fett. 
And I'm so glad that they stuck to the canon. God damn it. I love that they stuck to the canon because in the Aftermath series of the books, I'm really going to geek out. Cobb Vanth, who I know is from the extended universe, acquires um, Boba Fett's army uh, armor from the Sarlacc pit, but he does it by way of the Jawas. And he's wearing it. And he is the marshal. That's Tim- Timothy Oliphant's character. And that's great. That's good stuff right there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it de- he gets there and it's not what he expects and then we get treated with the monster of all uh, Easter eggs. So, Venena, question mm, for you. Yes. I know you're not steeped in this as I am. Did you know who that was at the end of the episode? At the very with end? The, yeah. Guy, the guy the ball, who was the on... The bald dude? Um, I, Boba Fett? Did you have They're to look thinking... that up to figure that out? I did, yeah. Yeah. So what was your first takeaway before you looked it up? Were you, like, mm-hmm. intrigued? Were you like, oh, well, that must have some significance? Yeah, I just... At first, I thought it was the general guy from the first um, uh, season. Ah, uh, okay. Yep. The guy who was, like, in, in the plane or in, in the thing, and then it crashed. Um, I thought it was him, but then I had to look it up because I'm like, oh, that guy looks nothing like him. So I I knew the armor was his like that. I, that I knew. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and I knew he got swallowed up, you know, and I just couldn't figure out how did he get swallowed up? But Mm -hmm. the armor kind of like left his body and, and is with another character. Mm -hmm. I think maybe we'll get that answer. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It would have to. So that's like my best answer for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what's amazing about this episode is that uh, it actually doesn't really touch. It, it's not like a direct follow up in some ways to like the very end. Right. right. Of season one, which you would no. kind of expect it. Right. I mean, it because it, that big build. So obviously that's going to tie in here, right, at some point in this season. Right. But now you've got this whole Boba Fett storyline deal, which, whatever that's going to lead to, which seemingly will also tie into this season. So, like, there's a lot of these little things that are going to be happening in the course of this mm-hmm. season on top of the, the main storyline, which is him needing to deliver the child. So, like, right. it's... It's great that they're setting up like there's this one giant arc to the entire show, right? But each season can have its story within mm-hmm. that. And that's yeah. to me, that's the type of television that I like. Um and, and even this episode like this episode, um, in many ways was something you could watch just like on your own, right? It had a beginning, middle and end. Yeah. Um, and now granted, if you see that ending, you know, you may want to say, well, wait, I got to stick around cause I need to see where that's going. But like right. the episode, you know, in and of itself, like it, you don't have to like wait till next week to find out what any of it means or, you know, like where they're going. Like it had a, it had an end to it. Uh, there was just a, right. a standalone story also within that episode. So they're really doing a lot of great storytelling because the episodes have a standalone nature to them. Um, but, and the, the seasons have a standalone nature to them, but there is just one giant story arc, uh, that Mm. kind of 
carries over from season to season. Uh, makes it, I think, very easy to watch too, because it just mm-hmm. it doesn't it's not so dense that like you know people are just gonna give up and say oh I can't I'm not gonna be able to follow this you know yeah yeah, yeah I think it... I I think watching you know on Disney Plus they had like all of the behind the scenes episodes you know for season one I think watching that show really made me understand everything that went into making this show and making season one and and hearing from someone like Dave Filoni, you know, mm-hmm. this is the difference between having someone helm a project that like loves it, is an expert, is like, <laughs> you know, you can pick his brain on this universe and he understands it he probably even more than like Earth, you know, mm-hmm. in the universe that like he's living in. And you see all of that manifest in all of these like little choices, little character choices. Um, it, it's really, I think, the magic glue that gives us the, the product that we have, you know, it's. Yeah. It's not just someone that's jumped in that's like Hollywood and like, oh, we we need this story needs to go this way and this way and bing, bang, boom. And then, okay we have a finished product and and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Like it really seems like a show and you could feel it. Right. You could feel the energy. It really seems like a show that's just steered with knowledge and expertise and a love for the universe. So I, yeah. that's why I say I think it does a lot of fan service, whether you're like an in, you know, insane deep fan or if you're someone who just is a fan, you know, yeah. like on the surface, like you are just a fan. You don't know nothing about it, um, but you know enough you know, to appreciate it. And then you can, you can now like look up all of like the Easter eggs and like the things that you might've missed. And it, and that even enriches your world a little deeper and that's fun to discover and find out, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to, to your point about Dave Filoni, I mean, this, this, this guy is the closest thing to, to a, you know, George Lucas, uh, protege, uh, there ever could be. Right. And, his attention to detail and his love and specificity and the things that he is putting back on the screen um, is brilliant because to your point, it absolutely enriches that universe. It enriches the experience that new fans, old fans, diehard fans and nobodies have with the show. Oh, um, for me and, and of course, again, like I, absolutely love live and breathe star wars to see r5 okay so r5 is the first droid that luke skywalker picks instead of r2d2 to come back to the moisture farm with him and his uncle and as r5 is rolling out his motivator blows and then he's like hey uncle owen how about this this one and he picks r2d2 R5 is stuck on Tatooine and he got fixed and he is at the depot station where the Mando comes down, right? I think Mm -hmm. that's where he is. And he still has, and he could see the scar on the back of his head where his motivator blew. Like, (laughs) I love that shit. That is all that, that attention to detail is amazing. It's amazing. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. It is like only Dave Filoni could, come up with something like that yeah going back to boba fett 
like, yeah, I, I'm sure everybody like who is anyone who's like, oh my god, it's Boba Fett. Now I'll be honest with you, I'm over Boba Fett because I have a Mandalorian. Like I have a legit Mandalorian character, mm-hmm. and he's amazing. He's a badass. The dude is the bomb. Boba Fett is an interesting character because he. I think everybody, I I don't know why everyone loves him because he is literally one of the worst bounty hunters ever. Like in terms of what people have had experienced in the cinematic form, right? Like the dude gets hit by accident. And by the way, nice little Easter egg because that's what the Mandalorian does to Cobb Vanth is he hits the jetpack in the same place where Boba Fett gets hit in Return of the Jedi and he shoots up in the air. Um, So there's some interesting stuff there. But he, his escape from the Sarlacc pit is the only question mark that's of any importance in the story. Does he does he need to have a major role in the show? I don't think so. And 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 honestly, I hope they tie it up really quickly. I don't really think it's it's much. I think there's a lot already happening in the show that I'm like, eh, Boba Fett's backstory is fine to have, but like it's not a must have in my opinion. Um. And and the thing is too, you know, he was already hinted at. Uh, I think it was episode five of season one when, again, we're back on Tatooine and you hear like spurs and there's oh you see our feet walking up to uh, a bounty, and the one I forgot her name, um, she gets killed. The I think Mando kills her or something or someone kills her, and leaves her to dead and leaves her for dead and. You hear the spurs and the feet come up. Well, you hear those spurs again when Man- when uh, Boba Fett turns around and walks off. And the other interesting mm-hmm. thing about Boba Fett um, is obviously he's been on Tatooine for a long time. He has articles that belong to the Sand People, like some of their weapons on his back. Um, so I, I I'm I'm interested to see because he's and he's also worn down. He's he's. He doesn't look the same. You know, we know that he's a clone. He's an untouched clone that was aging normally. So he's got a gnarly scar on his yeah, face. Yeah, and he he's also like survived. He survived the Sarlacc pit. Which, right. I mean, that so here's the thing toll, about the Sarlacc right? pit that people are like, oh, how did he do that? So what they do a really good job in this episode of doing is they're telling you Beskar armor is like yes. impenetrable. Yep. Mm-hmm. He, you can see, and, and that was like to me, it was like the purpose of that opening, man, the hand-to-hand combat of the Mandalorian, like when he's fighting everyone, is to show everyone the Beskar is like his greatest ally, the best thing that he. I mean, he used it as a weapon. Anytime someone punched him, he just leaned his head, and they like broke their hand on his armor. And then when Cobb Vanth shows up in the in the busted. Boba Fett armor, he takes a blaster bolt right to the chest and is unfazed, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they're setting up that, okay, so he survived. Boba Fett may have survived because of the Beskar. The other part of that was a nice little subtle hint by Mando in the in dialogue was he said something about the dragon ate the Sarlacc. Yes. Right? And so that's how like, oh, maybe that's how we got out the dragon. The dragon that they just killed ate the Sarlacc, and he ended up. That's how. That's how maybe Boba Fett came out, got out, or somehow, and he, mm. he he came out half dead, and the Jawas found him, and they stripped him of his armor and left him to die out in the desert. Maybe that's mm. how it went down. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, and the last piece here, I'm sorry because I'm totally geeking out, 
is that they made it a big deal to show that that dragon was breathing hot fire acid on people and disintegrating them, and yet Mando gets swallowed up and comes out with that shit on his body and yeah. is untouched. Yes. yes. Good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, no, I think it's clear. So, Haven't they already established, though, that like the way Bo- like Boba Fett basically the, the armor is what did, in fact, help him kind of survive? In uh, in the in the EU, yeah, they did, but like that. I mean, obviously, this is well, where they're going. Sure. They're, they're yeah. going to go with it this week. Yeah, I don't know. You know, we don't even know what, like you said, what, <clears throat> how big a role he's going to have in this. I, I've still sure. am always been baffled by this obsession that people have with Boba Fett. It's one of those mysteries of Star Wars, considering, um, you know, just the the amount of time the character actually has. <laughs> On screen, yeah. you know, in the two movies that he's in, um, and and his, well, it's now it's no longer his death, but his very um, anticlimactic death, you know, that he gets, yeah. um, and because I mean, the people that are like that think he's the coolest thing ever, like a lot of them may not even realize like that he was resurrected, you know, like in the the books or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it's just always been fascinating to me. Uh but whatever, we'll see where that goes, and um, you know, I guess we'll we'll continue to talk about this show, obviously, as as time mm. goes on. Um, one thing we do need to discuss, unfortunately, is the the sad news that we had um, the passing of Sean Sir Sean Connery uh, yeah. at ninety years old. Uh, this is a a titan, right, of Hollywood, uh, an absolute legend. Um, you know, the one thing that. I didn't even realize I read uh, as part of, you know, some of the articles that like he hadn't made a movie in 17 years since League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was the last movie. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. What a movie to go out on. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm. Unfortunately. <laughs> Sean Connery. I mean, his legacy. What was, was a, already... What was the movie he made before that was like a, like a where he plays a teacher or something, some shit like that? Uh Oh God, I forgot the name of the movie. It's like Yeah. Finding I mean, Forrester or something. I don't know. His legend like was already, you know, cemented obviously with James Bond. Yeah. That's you know, he's the the first James Bond on film. Uh and just I mean, people say still the best. Obviously that's a debate that goes on, you know, mm. all over and over again. But um uh, an icon, obviously. Yeah. Aww. He was yeah. he was ninety, and yes. I feel like that's that's a good like it's a good age, you know. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I mean, for me, he stands out on so many in so many ways because you know my my father introduced me to to James Bond, and um, it wasn't you know the first the first obviously wasn't cuz I, I I'm a child of the 80s so like Timothy Dalton was my first exposure to James Bond and then my dad was like whoa hold on hold your horses kiddo I'm going to take you back and he shows me Dr No and shows me Goldfinger and he shows me all of these you know Sean Connery classics mm. and you know he very much is my James Bond too because that's who I grew up watching you know with my dad when I rewatched a lot of those old films um and you know 
uh, and again, still being a child of the eighties, my, my dad was into Highlander and, and he, <laughs> he makes, he makes an amazing appearance as a very horrible speaking Spanish Spaniard, um, in, in the movie. It's hilarious. A Scottish man. Playing Spanish <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Funny as hell. <laughs> you know, um, but the dude was, a, was, He's he was an amazing actor, and uh, and just an amazing presence. Just yeah, just, for, I mean, he just seemed like such a badass, even as yeah, an old man. Yeah. You know, he just seemed like someone who could like just right cross you and take out a couple of teeth in the process, and then go and drink a pint, and then kick you in the nuts. Mm. But, like so, um, and you know, I was very very aware that he had retired from acting for a, for a significant period of time, and. Um, you know, to your point, Vanana, he certainly lived a, a very f- fulfilled life yes. at the age of 90 and, uh, he'll be missed. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I think one of the reasons why, like, it didn't register with me that he hadn't made a movie in so long is because of the fact that his, his, just his movies are always on. You know, like whether yeah. it's Bond or you know or anything really, any of the stuff that he's done, like there's a there's something with him on seemingly all the time. So it's like you don't even realize. It's like, oh wow, yeah, I'm like geez, he hasn't made a he didn't make a new movie in seventeen years. Um, yeah. But like his stuff is always on TV, so it's you know mm-hmm. I think it's a tribute to somebody when your catalog is so strong that um, you can go forever without making a new movie and it like people are still watching you over and yeah. over again, mm-hmm. you know? so. I mean he had such a run in the late 90s like holy shit there was like the rock yeah he the rock had, like great entrapment. Yeah. yeah you know what i mean like he had he had a run um and and then unfortunately and you know one one uh one oscar for best sporting actor for the untouchables yeah. uh you know which is a uh, really good movie uh, he did the hunt for Red October, mm-hmm. you know, which is great. And I mean, obviously Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So he oh he God, jumped into that. So Yay, great in that. And he jumped into that so franchise. Good. And um, so yeah, just a amazing career. Uh, just like the coolest guy, right? Yeah, that type yeah. of guy. He's like a just a movie star, you know, just like a real like celebrity. Mm. Yeah, we we just watched the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen too. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> so many other bad movies to watch and waste yeah. your time with. Yeah. Hey, this is the year. <laughs> sure. Yeah. This is the year. <laughs> just watch whatever. So so bad. It's Ugh. bad on so many levels because it's not only is it just a bad film, but it's it's not even like remotely faithful to the book and. It's just like it's just bad, like in every way possible. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, that happens. It happened a lot with comic book films prior to this age of of movies that we're enjoying I'm right sure now. So gonna get more of those shit, shit comic book movies. Let's oh, see. there's gonna be some. I mean, listen, they can't. Yeah, we're gonna it, hit. But... We're gonna hit that again. Yeah, we're gonna uh, hit what? That like phase of bad comic book movies. You think well, so? Hell yeah, we are. It's we're gonna hit a point where it's just but gonna like be that bad. Saturation. You think? 
No, not, I mean, not, I'm not talking like Tim Story, like Fantastic like, Four. Like, I'm thinking or... of like incompetently made films. Like, you just think we're going to get like. Yeah, I don't like... think so. See, in my opinion, they already exist. Oh, well, they they exist. Shazam, so, okay. Sh- no, no, no. As in, like, the new ones, like, Shazam fits right into that. Uh, no, but Shazam is right not. There. Shazam is not Shazam, League of Extraordinary you know, Gentlemen. Right in that bad, shit category. Though. I mean, no, you're right. You're right. Because we're talking. We're well. I mean, we can get into it. Like we're 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 talking about like the Mandalorian, right? Which has like just a great team, you know, and and that's really what builds a foundation of a finished product that you know people feel it, right? People feel how much time you put into something. If if you're if you're molding like a clay statue, right? Um, the more time and, and attention to detail you spend into carving the extra lines on like the hands or the face or whatever, the final product of this statue that you're going to have is going to look more lifelike. It's going to look like, oh, wow, I could really like see the thing. But if you're just like, all right, as long as the shape is good and it kind of resembles, you know, a person that I'm molding and I'm not really going to go into like the attention to detail, you know, um, but it's like good enough, then of course your finished product is going to be crap. Right. And I, I think that kind of brings us into like, you know, the DC justice league, like Ray Fisher thing. We're going to talk about like the breakdown in the team, um, that they ended up having. Right. Mm. It seems like that's exactly the MO that was going in to making that finished product. It wasn't. It wasn't surrounded by uh, a team that understood um, that that understood like the the canon, like what they were actually doing. You know, mm-hmm. it's like th- they had no respect. You can see from the from from any final product, like you didn't care about what you were going to introduce the world to. You know, mm-hmm. um, and that's why that production was so rife at the end with all of these issues. And now, like they're they're coming to you know bite whoever um, is is going to ultimately be responsible for it because you had different um, what's the word? You just you just they it seemed like they just had different things that they were focusing on. And one of them could have been like, let's just get it done. We're going to make a lot of money. They think audiences are stupid. And Mm -hmm. I don't think audiences are stupid. I think when you spend a little time to put attention to detail, like they did with the Mandalorian, really understanding your stories, really understanding the backgrounds and like where things come from. And you don't need to spend a lot of time introducing it or knocking people over the head with it. But when you give fans and people like those little things, and show them that you paid attention to detail. You respect the worlds that they love, you know, and then you gain like a fan for life and you don't have this fallout. Like they're having a fallout with this in like so many different directions. It's ugly. Well, but hold on. Before we get into any of that Brave Fisher stuff, um, just let me just say that. So there is a difference though between a movie like Shazam which may not have been like your cup of tea, say, right? And a movie like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, Shazam, regardless of what you thought of it, still, like, the critics were favorable, right? 
Uh, the reviews were favorable. A lot of people did enjoy it. Um, but League of Extraordinary, that's just a bad film. It's an incompetently made film. You know, like, so I, I do think that there are there are differences, right? There's a difference between, like, a film that might not be someone's cup of tea and just, like, a just a poorly made film. So I don't think we want to go back to the days of, like, a movie like that or, you know, like, your your uh, Captain America with, with Reb Brown or your, your Dolph Lundgren part. Like, mm-hmm. to me, those are, like, bad comic book films. Like, they're just bad movies that also Green happen Lantern. to be made. Yeah, I mean, even yeah, even that. I mean, these are like bad movies that happen to be about comic book characters. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I agree. I think there's a difference. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that like if Shazam is like the worst of the comic book movies that that you get, like if that's going to be an example, then I think we're okay, <laughs> right? Because that's just a movie that people might just disagree on as far as like tone and sure. direction of character, right? Um, so right, yeah, I was going to say like Shazam comes down to like, kind of like taste, you know? Yeah. It's it's just, it's like your cup of tea, like your taste because you like the tone, you like what they did. I think as you get further, like the le- like the first comic book movies that we got, I think all of them have just because of time and because of experience and because of technology, like, you know, when you get to Shazam, when you get like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was like, what, 2003. By the time you get to Shazam, which is like, what, 2019, there there has been progress made. So it, it can't be as bad as like the beginning films when they were just still trying to figure out this genre, which kind of it's it's become its own genre by itself. Um, and now it's getting, I think, refined on TV screens. Uh, in in the series format you know so it it can't be as bad as when it started but then that just depends on like you said it's like whether you like the tone or you know it's just a matter of taste yeah but you can appreciate that it's still okay it's just maybe you don't you don't like the lightheartedness of it you want something darker that's fine yeah uh all right so i i really to be honest with you i i didn't have any interest in talking about this Ray Fisher thing um, for a number of reasons. But Ron Diesel did ask us a question. So he asked, um, with an article that's come out about the the behind-the-scenes drama with Ray Fisher, uh, does it change your mind or does it make it harder to believe some of the stuff to be true? Uh, And he said, um, if we'll notice, compared to other stuff in the past, it's not trending compared to the other stuff we've heard in the past. And what does that say about the whole situation? So let me talk about the trending part first for a second, because I think it's mm-hmm. an interesting point. So to understand why a story like this isn't trending the way it was originally is to understand trending. Things trend when it goes from zero to 60 in 30 seconds. Like things trend because it went from nobody speaking about it to like everybody speaking about it in a very short period of time. And that's what gets things trending. So a lot of times when you see something trending, um, like we're not always sure exactly what that means. We, we tend to think that it's more than what it really is, right? So things trend in the moment. But I, I think the reason why uh, people it's not trending now and that article wasn't trending is just because, one, we've been down this road already. Uh, two... Unfortunately, with the way social media works now and how it alters our news cycles, like 
things come and go really quickly. Like you see this with a lot of different things now, right? Where something's hot and people are hashtagging it for like two, three days. And then like within a couple of weeks, it's done and we've moved on to the next thing. And that's just the nature of social media. Social media is only, you know, people are only as fired up, you know, about something until it stops being relevant enough for them to get noticed and to be in on the conversation. And then we move on to the next conversation that's going to get me reactions and things like that. So I think that's those are the reasons essentially why this thing and the thing he's talking about um, is this Forbes interview uh, that Mm -hmm. Ray Fisher did. Um, which has become controversial now because I believe the the author is now like a former contributor of Forbes, which is a whole nother what? thing. Really? That I, yeah, I mean, that was a whole thing that I saw the other day and then the, the Forbes updated it and they edited some stuff. They added in some f- comments from Warner Brothers, from mm. Joss Whedon's people and all this stuff. It got like really crazy. Um, and, and the whole uh, thing with it. Thing. No, and it's it's the shame i mean that it, it's gone um to this level but uh the reason why i really wasn't looking to talk about it was mainly be just because like it's still so vague um to me i i find it very hard to comment on things when you we just don't really know what it is that's going on I mean, he even within this interview, I mean, he he alludes to things. He he does say certain things, but again, a lot of it is still coming from his perspective. Um, and it right. it's just so hard for me to to sit back and and look at the things that he's saying, uh, and and to really just form a definitive opinion on anything. Like I I'm very much in the the wait and see mode. There are certain things that cert- that definitely don't seem like they're good. And then there are certain things where you could say, mm, that seems somewhat circumstantial. Um, but you don't know. I mean, we, we really don't know how much of this is has substance to it and how much of it is just, you know, one person's view of things. Uh, you know, and he says, oh, it's not just me. There's other people involved. But we really haven't heard from those people. Um, not to say that they don't have that they're not there, that they don't exist, but it, it really has still very much been like the Ray Fisher show. And, and I personally would just rather kind of sit back and wait until whatever investigations are happening happen. Uh, and we find out for sure exactly what, what this is all about. I, you know, I don't, I'm not even sure why he's even doing this at this point. Like I, I, I think that if these investigations are truly going on, he's probably best to just let them play out. And then if it doesn't play out the way he thinks or the way, you know, then you go out and you say, well, hey, wait a minute. Uh, You know, this is this is the way it was. These are the facts. This is what I presented, so on and so forth, because he's in this position now where he he legally really can't probably say too much. Um, And it's just it's hard. It's it's hard when when you're talking about serious allegations, which these are. Um, man, I just find it very difficult and I know it's, it's the natural instinct, especially in today's times to immediately have a reaction and a response to something. But, um, like, I I just want to step back from this one. I want to step back until everything is out there on the table. Uh, and when you really read that interview, I mean, there wasn't much, like it's not, there's not a lot of, of actual like fact there. 
Um, but you can read between the lines and see where he's getting at for sure. And and clearly there were things that don't sound good. But I, I'm going to hold off on having any form of uh, any sort of like taking any sort of stance on this uh, until until this investigation is over and until we actually start to hear from people and, and get to the bottom of, of all of this stuff. So mm. I think we, I think I got what I've been saying for weeks. Like what is, what is his actual, you know, gripe, right? Cause everyone is, in agreement that his tweets were a little bit vague and he couldn't say much. And you knew that like he couldn't say a lot and he was like being a little vague. But I think after reading this interview and seeing um, some of the examples that he brought up, um, that part of it has to do with like it being race issues um, that really kind of gave me a better picture than what I had months ago, you know, like we don't know exactly um, what was said, for example, we don't know the specifics, but seeing that where he's coming from is, is something that's coming out of mistreatment because of like racial discrimination or, you know, um, multiple like actors of like of color where like getting their roles cut and stuff like that, you can kind of imagine what kind of environment it is that they were all in now with any role that you do there's a chance that your role can get cut right there is it's it's not a guarantee if it doesn't fit into the final storyline then like you're cut um so it could that that could have been the explanation for that and then that's it we'll see what happens but i was i was happy that I read this interview and that this interview did come out because I think it kind of like kind of adjusted the lens a little bit so that we're zooming in and kind of clarifying and seeing clearer um, the picture that's going on. And like you said, like we'll see what happens, but bringing it back to my original point, I think any breakdown on set and what final product you get really depends on your team and your foundation. And the fact that something like this is going on, uh, just really, it's, it's a bad, it, it was a, I believe it was a bad environment, you know, like there's something there, like he's not making this up for, you know, his like 15 minutes of like internet viral, you know, fame. So he can, he can, go against a huge <laughs> a huge entity like Warner Brothers or or Warner Media you know like there there's there's something there like you don't just speak out and and stick with it for this long without it actually being something there so I'm for that and uh I I, I think we're just gonna we're gonna find out like what actually happened but I know something happened because you're we, we see the aftermath right now. And if it was all great and dandy and, and you have an outlier that's like lying, you know, I just, I just, I don't buy that. I don't buy that anymore. So get a good foundation I, I and a good I team. Even, 
I know, I Aaron. Know. You don't I even want to chime in. Like we don't. I mean, we we don't have to talk about it. But no, no, I, I, no. Think... I mean, to, from from my perspective, I. <laughs> What is there to say? I don't know. It's just it's mudslinging, and it is. <clears throat> I don't know. I think I think what what it all boils down to is again it goes back to the way that this whole thing was handled, right? The sparsity of information, because in these situations, like when Me Too movement happened, they were like Harvey Weinstein did it, right? There was no, there was no question. Here, here's the monster right there. There's the guy. Point him out. That's who it is. Well, there's and hundreds this, more, but right now, and, 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 and like, and then here's what he's done, right? With the um, uh, Peter Shinkoda. he was like Jeff, Jeff Loeb, right? Jeff Loeb, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Jeff, Jeff Loeb said X, Y, Z. This has been such a long and drawn out process that like the impact is not it's like I feel like if you and again, this is just my opinion. I'm not saying this has anything to do with the way that that uh, is his this is not should not be reflective of his truth, because, again, like obviously some, some shit went down and it was not good. But like why make a show of it just Go, f- j- dude. Just do it. Just say it. Blow it. Li- blow it up. Blow the lid up off this mother, and sort the shit out later. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're gonna do it, like, then do it. And all of this drama behind it just makes it to me just it it puts holes in his story and gives people enough time to like get their like the studio enough time for them to get their shit together to like make him look like an asshole. Right. That's the one and... thing I will agree with. That that that's a poor tactic on his side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and like and it's not to and that's not to say that he should, you know, that it should be diminished or he shouldn't have said anything like, yeah, dude, you, you need to say it. If you feel that way and you like and you have evidence and like blow the lid up off of that thing, because you're going to you're going to you're going to carve a you're going to carve a path for every other actor that's going to come after you to not feel like they are being abused or taken advantage of or whatever. Right. The, this I process like... now, all, all of all of that is now taken away from his ability to make change like because the change one one here's a couple of things the change is already the change was already underway before he said anything right mm-hmm. so all of those people that were in power were all fired and, and joss whedon hasn't made a movie since since justice league he hasn't done anything and you know so like what you're gonna okay, so you're you're gonna you're doing this to to make to make something right. Then just make it right. Then do it. Just say it. Don't drag drag it out. And if you don't, and if you needed the support, like then, dude, if I you you speaking your truth, and you had other people who were on set with you, like they would have back they would back you up a hundred a hundred percent. And like right just now, it's just Momoa, Momoa does, yeah. But he's the, but like after how long? Right. Like, so that's. You, you know what I mean? Agreed. So it, it just, no, it, agreed. It feels so weird to me. And 
so to answer to answer Ron Diesel's question, like yeah, it just it it makes the question mark even bigger in my mind. Hmm, that's um, interesting. It, it 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 does because and the thing is and here's the thing like going back to some of the stuff that he said like it doesn't change anything it doesn't add any weight in my opinion to any of the original statements that he said which was Joss Whedon is a monster and he does all you know he did all this egregious shit on set mm-hmm. okay N- nothing that came from any of those questions like any of the stuff and obviously i could i i could sense that there were some racial undertones that he was saying and especially given the time at which he was originally saying this stuff mm-hmm. kind of put it in that realm so i had a had an inkling like a very you know strong inkling that it, there was there were some racially charged things that were happening oh and okay. and that doesn't and that by all means does not surprise me at all but Nothing more was gleaned from that interview or his statements that would have been like, holy shit, dude, I cannot believe all of the stuff that you went through. Like, I just am kind of like, what's what's going to be the end result of all this? Right. This, right. When is this it seems when is like the only thing that's still in play is Jeff Johns. And that <clears> seems <throat> to be the guy that he's really targeting at this point because John Berg is out. Right. right? Uh, Joss Whedon, as you mentioned, he's he was out already, and he hasn't done anything in three years since. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Jeff Johns is no longer with, like, he's no longer part of like. Right, he's kind of still around, but not in the role that he was in at the time. He's not involved in the the film side or any of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that seems to be the guy that he's still essentially targeting. He he's. You know, and he's referenced. He even said that, like, you know, they they tried to Walter Hamada, right? He said sold out, tried to uh, sell John Berg and and Joss Whedon out to protect Jeff Johns. And he even references mm-hmm. in this interview that, um, you know, they have Walter Hamada and Jeff Johns had a have had a relationship for a while, like already. So and so he he's kind of again reading between the lines. He's saying they're. Basically, they're trying to protect Jeff Johns, so that that seems to be his end game here, um, because it's the only thing left in play from all that time. Um, and again, we'll have to see what what happens. Um, I you know I I think that at some point, you know, I guess there's a new investigator on this thing, and that's fine. And eventually, we're gonna get the details of what it is, and then you know. It'll either be oh okay, or it'll be like oh really that was okay. That's what it was. So I, I you know, I, again, I, I wanna I wanna respond. I wanna respond to that, Aaron. You brought up like the Me Too movement. You know, um, you brought up Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. It took years and years and multiple people speaking out before Harvey Weinstein got what's due to him. You know, it wasn't just one person that was like, I'm going to call him out and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it on Twitter and I'm going to tell you exactly what he did, you know, because you're fighting with a Hollywood machine that Mm -hmm. protects its own and it protects its executives and it it protects its CEOs. You know, they're not going to let them and and these men go down so easy, you know, so you took someone like uh, Rose McGowan, who completely forfeited her career and it, she's not credible now in certain people's eyes because 
the abuses that she called out and she continues to call out abuses, you know, mm-hmm. and there's people out there that are like, well, give us proof, give us proof, you know, like what exactly happened. That could be, he said, she said, you know, and I, I think Ray Fisher kind of like similarly finds himself in a, in a position where it's hard to prove that race is like a factor in these people's like decision-making process, right? Like they were talking about like the, the colorist thing about like how they had to make the, um, uh, actors who are like, uh, people of color, like lighten their skin color or complexion a little bit. So, Mm -hmm. you know, one side is saying like, well, we just, we need to color the whole film. So it fits like a certain tone of the film. And then someone can argue like, well, why are you lightening my skin tone? Like my skin tone is my skin tone. Do you want to whitewash me? So they could look at it. And like, those things are really, really hard to prove. So I I think that's where he, like, it's hard for him to kind of like tackle this all by himself with what he's saying, because there isn't definitive proof. There isn't like, oh, you know, like, like Louis CK, you know, backed me into a hotel and started doing this. And I... I was so scared and there, there isn't any of that. It's, it's just, it's just a, it's just how you felt and how you felt on set. And they were talking about like the belittling and he's talking about gaslighting, like gaslighting is like so hard to prove cause it's so subjective at the same time. And you really need multiple people to kind of like, like we're talking about, like back you up. So if all of this stuff was happening, um, the unsafe work conditions, I'm not sure because it's a, sag it's like a set like there's a lot of people responsible you know that are not just like joss whedon like there's a lot of people that work on set that like have to follow certain rules and stuff like so i don't know if the breakdown went all the way to like being unsafe work conditions maybe unsafe feeling like emotionally maybe that's what he was trying to say um so there's a lot of things that i feel like yeah, we understand it a little bit now, but it's going to be really hard to actually prove or have any concrete evidence unless you have recordings, unless you have video, you know, unless you have a video of like all of these blowups and threats. Um, mm-hmm. But what's important is when, when people come forward, like in the Me Too movement or whatever, like there's there's something there. Like you you have to give them the benefit of the doubt and believe that what they're feeling and what they're saying is there. Um, it helps if his co-stars or co-workers can back him up. But sometimes on sets like these, you don't even do scenes or meet the other person. Maybe maybe you shoot with them all of your scenes in one day and then that's it. You, you've met them once in your life. Um, mm. So I don't know what that situation is like. I think... Jason Momoa is backing him up. But then if everyone else saw this behavior and they were silent about it, then like you're complicit in this behavior. Yeah. Well, although for and... the record, dude, let's just Jason Momoa has actually not backed him up in the sense of like saying, yep, everything he's saying happened. It's true. But if Jason, Momoa, some bad Jason Momoa backed him up essentially for speaking out. Like he backed him up too and said like, yeah, you know, Warner Brothers, they tried to distract from him speaking out by coming up with that bogus frosty announcement or whatever it was that he was going to be in. And he's like, that was disgusting and disgraceful. And they're trying to like shut him down and all that stuff. But like he actually hasn't come out and said like, well, yeah, I, I, I you know, experienced it and I, I saw it and stuff like that. So he he's supporting Ray Fisher, which is great. And he, it's nice that he's doing that. But um, it's, it's more support for Ray Fisher and his voice so far mm-hmm. than it is actually saying like, yeah, these issues, I, yeah, I saw it too. 
and it really is. Well, a he said, yeah, he said serious stuff went down. Sure, absolutely. In one of his tweets, and it's yep. like, yeah, like were you there for it, or are you just saying like, right. yes, because because I know Ray and he's my buddy, um, and he's telling me these things. Like I'm I'm backing him up, telling you guys you need to investigate this, or when or is he saying like serious stuff went down? I was there and I right. saw it, you know, yep. but like, kind of like, I'm not going to carry the mantle of this because I didn't bring it up, yeah. you know? And all of the stuff so. that you just mentioned is, I think, a big reason for why, at least me personally, I'm like, let me just sit back and wait and see what happens because mm-hmm. you're right. A lot of it is like some of these things are things that could be very difficult to prove. You know, like he mentioned like the colorist thing. Well, Warner Brothers uh, or Joss Whedon's people, I don't remember which one it was, they released a a statement. Yeah, Joss Whedon saying, well, that's because Joss Whedon was filming a movie with a different color palette than what Zack Snyder had filmed. So his Zack Snyder's footage had a different color palette in general, which we know to be the case because we saw what Justice League theatrical looked like, right? Mm-hmm. as far as the color palette updating as a versus what Zack Snyder was going for. So he said, and because of that, like the, we needed to make adjustment, blah, 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 and match it up, whatever. Whether that's true or not, again, the point is like there are always going to be these plausible reasons, even the thing with the casting, with the, the people um, having their parts cut. Like there's always going to be, hey, look, we cut a lot of stuff. <laughs> from the movie yeah we cut you know blah 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 we cut this and it just so happens to be that you know this this so you're always going to have a lot of that stuff so i think that's why for me it's more of like let's just see what it is i don't want to say that i mean i can't say i'm not in a position to say nothing serious happened like i'm not in a position to say that you know ray fisher doesn't have a leg to stand on here clearly an investigation is happening so there had to be something <laughs> of substance, right? Or else they wouldn't even bother doing an investigation. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. hopefully for, uh, you know, for all involved, I, I, I think that I, I, you know, I do believe, I will say, I do believe that Ray Fisher, I don't think he has any, like, I don't think he's just out of his mind and trying to just make stuff up to, to do harm to people. Like that, not at all. What yeah, I think is no, happening, and I think not. that he even made the point in the order. He says, "Look, do you think I would blow up, risk like blowing up my career and and you know putting a, a studio that I still have a relationship with at risk and all that stuff just if this was nothing?" Yeah. And that there's that resonates. I mean, there's something to that. You're like, yeah, you know what? Okay, I get it. Um, you're not, you know, it's not just some guy who's being irresponsible who's you know saying the hell with this, but. Um, you know, we'll have to see what what this ultimately leads to, and and you know what it was. But the, I, I think, like Aaron said earlier, we may already kind of have an idea of what's happening because you know Joss Whedon's MIA and John Berg is out, and you know, <laughs> so we've kind of already seen. Maybe that alone may, tells you a little bit of something. Maybe it, that also is circumstantial. It could be. You know, right. I mean, the movie didn't do well, so that's that alone is reason to make a change, right? Um, it's just all of this is we don't know. We really don't know what what any of this is. No, but. no, and, and I mean, and that was my my point is that I don't think it. The article expands anything. Sure. more in my opinion, right? It doesn't. It does give you a little bit of an idea, though. Yeah, where a little he bit more, it, going I mean, and what he's thinking. It sure. confirms some of my suspicions, but yeah, for the most part, there isn't any 
like the ball isn't moving across the field is what I'm saying. Right. That I can right. It's just he's, you know, Sherry Mar. What I'm more interested now is that why uh, Shiraz uh, Faruqi yes. is a former contributor now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I didn't the, know that. I, that's... On, his, on his Twitter feed, he's still a contributor, so I don't know if there was something, something else going on there. Hmm. Yeah, well, it it coincides his his thing being switched to former contributor um, coincided with them um, Slop, retracting stuff. certain things and and adding additional things. Uh, mm. Maybe maybe again on again, that's another one of those things. Until he speaks out, you know, there's no sense in speculating or making uh. a, a big. But it, it certainly is a bad optic. But maybe maybe it was his choice. We don't know. I mean, it's one of those things that. Uh, you know, we won't know until um, until he addresses it. So, but it is a it is one of those things that certainly kind of reaches the eyebrow and says, "No, wait a minute, hmm. what's that all about?" Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> so we'll leave that uh, we'll leave that with there, and uh, we will. Uh, I guess we can get out of here uh, for this week. Of course, you can go to thefanboygarage.com and you can check out our episode archive, check out our merch store, um, and uh, join the conversation on the social media, the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter, at, uh, I'm sorry, at, at the Fanboy Garage. I was going to say at Real C. Almighty. Don't do that. <laughs> I am at Real C. Almighty on Twitter, but there's not much conversation to join there. Um, oh, just also one other thing. Um, there is not going to be a video version of this episode. So just in case anybody is um, waiting around for that, uh, we're going to be audio only this week. Um, just in case anyone was wondering. So, yes. Sorry. But... I just, I just did a quick search on, on what was going on. It looked like he was fired. Wow. All right. Well, huh? Hmm. Mm-hmm. The Hollywood machine, the powers that be, they were like, Mm-mm. you, yeah, you that's, can't, you that's can't Forbes, report news though. like this. That's weird, but oh, whatever. That's a shame. Well, I'm going to research that a little bit more this mm-hmm. week and because that type of stuff that's in my wheelhouse. So let me mm-hmm. uh, like to dig into that one. Dig in. Update next week, folks. Yeah. All right. Well, tell us where to find you, Chris. Oh, real C almighty for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I just wanted to add, we have a new YouTube channel, so subscribe to us. Um, Mercury is still retrograde, so we're not going to have a video episode this week, but we'll be back next week, but subscribe to us on YouTube at the fanboy garage. If you want to see our lovely faces, uh, record our episode each week and you guys can always tweet me at banana underscore TFG on Twitter. Um, and I'm going to throw it to Aaron. And you can find me at A.A. Ron Speaks. That is A underscore A underscore Ron Speaks. Thank you again so much for listening to episode 119 of the Fanboy Garage. It is always a pleasure, and we will catch you guys next week. You're listening to the Fanboy Garage Podcast. 